Welcome to A Curious Conversation. I'm here with Jennifer Zients. Thank you so much for being here, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. So you're the Deputy Director for Program and uh, the Head of Clinical Services at Center for Brain Health. Now, before we dive into your background, tell me a little bit about what Center for Brain Health is. Yeah, Center for Brain Health is a clinical research facility that's part of the University of Texas at Dallas. And our whole goal is working to improve how people work, think, and live. And so we do a lot of education and engagement and empowerment so that people can really learn how to use their own right. brain right. to yeah. unleash greater potential. So how did you get into this? Tell me, I mean, let's go way back. Tell me about Jennifer as a kid. So I think I've always been very curious about how things work, why things go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I had, I had a great aunt who, so I'm a speech language pathologist by okay. discipline, my education. And I had a great aunt who had a very severe stroke and survived it, but obviously had a lot of, she had a lot of physical impairments mm -hmm. and had aphasia and apraxia and everything. So language and speech, everything was really difficult. And then fast forward a little bit and I have one of my first cousins, when I was in college, he died in a car accident, mm -hmm. or he didn't die in a car accident. He had a car accident, had severe head injury, Got it. brain injury. And then he ended up passing away from those injuries. And so part of that was like, I never got to see the kind of like, what happens after an acquired injury like that in somebody who's young. He was right. 17 years old at the time. And so simultaneously, I was in undergrad and I took an amazing, amazing course called Language and the Brain. Okay. And it really like unleashed this complete different capacity for me, that realizing that speech pathology, I was already like in a, communication sciences and disorder major, but this was much bigger than yeah. just like speech pathology. And so through that I was able to, I went to grad school and I, I hooked on with, um, and I found, and she's been an amazing mentor to me, Dr. Sandy Chapman, who stood up Center for Brain Health. But her whole, her whole thinking is about around capacity building, regardless of what has happened to us. Right. And so I've always said, when I work with groups of people, I work with a lot of people that have had concussions. You know, I work with the military and law enforcement and just the general population sure. now. But I've always said, like, I really don't care what's happened to you in the past, which I obviously do. Yeah. But it's sort of like, at this point, it's point A. Yeah. And so it's like, how can we still keep going to get people to point B? And so it, it's just been cool. My career has been, has spanned from, you know, real impairment driven uh, folks to now looking at performance-based work. And so a lot of the people I work with now are totally healthy, functioning people that are really interested in like, how do I keep the edge? How do I sharpen my knives? And So is that, it, I'm just out of curiosity because we're gonna get right into the weeds. Is, is capacity something that is set and you're learning how to best utilize the tools within a capacity or can you expand capacity? Nobody knows their potential. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, like I really do, you know, what we have seen is that so many of the metrics that we have these days, you know, whether it's IQ testing or all this leadership training and sure. all this stuff, they kind of, they define us, mm -hmm. they box us, they put us into categories. Right. And that's one of the things that I completely don't appreciate about those measures right. is that Who's to say that you can't be X or Y? Right. I mean, we see it all the time in practical terms where somebody who, you know, starting out in a job and it's like, you really don't know anything about an industry and you're brand new and you learn, you learn, you learn. And you end up 
developing completely different skills oftentimes. Right. So it's like what you what you learned, what you got tooled up to do to come into the job, then how you got trained, then we go into these branches. And so I think that I think people's motivation and their curiosity is really what drives their capacity building. Right. And it's not fixed. And I think that's like with the brain. We often thought for a long time we always thought that the brain is a black box. It is fixed. You were born with what you had mm -hmm. over your life. You would lose some of it. There's still a, a, pro a pretty pervasive, ubiquitous belief that if you reach X, you know, if you are old enough, you know, you live long enough, you will develop dementia, all sorts of things like this. And we know that these things are not the case. And our brains go through amazing neuroplasticity, which is your brain's ability, you right, to right, change sure. all the time. And so it's, it's like what neuroplasticity is completely driven by your experience yeah. and what you do with it. And so two people can do the same thing but or get exposed to the same thing, but do two different things with it, which could drive somebody's and doesn't drive the other. And yeah. that's where I really like see capacity building and potential is um, in how you kind of grasp the opportunities that you're afforded. Well, it's obvious that you are very excited about this subject matter. How did you become a research clinician? I just, you know, it's interesting. So when I first started my career um, decades ago, it was the people that I saw were looking for, they were part of a differential diagnostic program, looking, do I have Alzheimer's disease? Mm. So I was at the, I, my whole career has been at the Center for Brain Health. And so initially we were working with the, um, or my job was really working in conjunction with the Alzheimer's Disease Center at UT Southwestern. So individuals were coming in for diagnosis, but also to be part of studies. And we were come, we had an opportunity to look at things from a linguistic, a cognitive linguistic standpoint, rather than just like what neuropsych traditional cognitive um, testing does. And so, I what I saw was that people were they were being defined by a diagnosis, but they would say, "What's worse than my diagnosis is really the way people treat me, mm. or the way that I think about myself now because of what society says." They've kind of been pigeonholed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that through education and just like really getting to work with people, I was so excited about the ideas that people, like how, how people could still live their life, even with a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, yeah. to its fullest. Um, one of my colleagues worked with a group and we called it the Stark Club. And <laughs> she, because one of the guys was Temple Stark. And he was an individual, he was this amazing man that um, he's from Dallas. and. He was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease kind of, I think in his late 50s. And so, you know, height of like earning capacity, he had young yeah. kids at home, things. But he really was like, I just have humor and I, I'm, I have to laugh and to find common people. Yeah. And they ended up writing a book. This group wrote a book and they each had their own chapter. Really? Yeah, and so the book's called I Can Still Laugh. And the idea is that like people still travel, people still do so many things, it wasn't yeah. like the end of it, you know? Yeah. And so they started to really show me and open the door to like possibilities. Yeah. I wanna take a second, because you mentioned that you've worked at Center for Brain Health for 20 years. There is, I, I, I think that's pretty awesome. I, I feel like um, there is this longevity or tenure that's kind of lost a bit of value. I've been at Corgan for 11 years, by far the longest I've worked anywhere. Um, but I've, I feel like there also has to be something that is 
keeping you fulfilled, like keeping you anchored there? Because you're incredibly smart. You could, you, I'm sure, work at a, uh, at a, a bunch of different places. What is it about Center for Brain Health that kind of keeps you sucked in? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it is, it, I definitely, I feel so fulfilled. It's, it's kind of interesting because I think that it fills my soul in a way that nothing else in my life does. Yeah. And um, it is the people, it is the culture, it is the work that we do. I mean, I think that I'm, I'm always inspired by, I feel empowered by the work we do. Yeah. I'm inspired by the people that I work with, both like clients as well as my own colleagues. Um, and I just believe that there's a culture there that is, for me, I feel like um, it's, po- it's around possibility thinking and trying to do things and trying to make a difference in the world and believing that it's always about people first and um, trying to always do the right thing. Yeah. Um, and I just, and it's it's always exciting to get to talk to people about like the thing that we all have in common, right. our brain. And yet everybody sees it in such different ways. We have different perspectives. We have different experiences and stories. And so every single day I feel like I learn something new. I'm challenged constantly. Um, Research is always changing. You know, I'm a research clinician, so I work a lot with people, and I'm not a data kind of person. Yeah. But I, but I do translational studies, and so when I get an opportunity to really dig into data and understand the data, it's it's really cool to see even these nuances of how things can change, and I think it's empowering. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I think one of the things, uh, uh, maybe a preconceived notion that I had, because. Our, we first met four or five years ago doing a study and I, I appreciated how hands-on or or practical or you know tangible some of the studies and some of the things that you guys did it was it wasn't I think it would be easy to be some in your field to be somewhat theoretical and to you know postulate about different ideas and whatnot and every interaction I've seen with you it's very it's very kind of hey here's some hard data, here's some actual practical elements. Is that something that's unique to Center for Brain Health or is that something that you... I, I think that it is in the way that part of what we do is translational. And so we're trying to get things out of a laboratory, right. out of a randomized controlled trial setting and make it applicable to people. And that's the way that we really change how people think, work, and live. And so I think you're right. There's so many researchers doing so many amazing, important studies in all aspects of the brain, yeah. you know, whether it's disease, exercise, like looking at every aspect of it. But when we see that you're able to translate it to what's practical and what is a takeaway for somebody, that's, that's when it becomes uber meaningful. And when people can walk away with tools that if they implement it today, it can make a difference. We've seen that it makes a difference. Yeah. That's like really exciting to me. I've heard you say over and over again how what's really important to you is how people design their lives. Like they are the architect of their own brain. Tell me a little bit more about that. So I I always think so we we teach so we've developed a program, um, a training program that we call SMART, and it stands <laughs> for Strategic Memory Advanced Reasoning Tactics. Really, and so it's really it's a set of nine cognitive strategies that we've tested with different kinds of populations and kids and and in adults. And we do a lot of trans, uh, translational work now. So it's like really teaching it to people who aren't having to come to our center and sit down with us, but it's like going into their environments. 
And um, part of what I love about it is we talk a lot about, it's a lot about being more strategic in how you think. And so what does that mean? We kind of talk about that and strategies around that. But being a deeper level thinker, mm -hmm. which is really getting at like, what's the point and why? Like, what am I trying to accomplish and why? What's gonna be the impact? Yeah. And then a last set is really around innovation. And innovation being possibility thinking. Yeah. And being able to see what exists for ourselves beyond this. Right. And that's where I think, it's a combination for me, I always think, if you can think deeper level with everything that you do, it's like, what am I doing? Yeah. Like, what's the point of this? And like, what's the impact? And then start using your innovation to think about all the ways that you can make that happen. That's like designing. And, yep. and it, it can, you can do it all the way from how you work, you know, in the office, to how you raise your kids, yeah. to how you organize your pantry, to, I mean, the how smallest. How you cook. How you cook, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And I, and I just think that we've become, our, our world is so fast, so, many, so much technology, so many inputs, every like constant barrage of information that we don't just stop. Yeah. And I think that when we could, and, and I don't mean just like stop all activity, but it's like just put in a little bit of time and effort just to stop and think about what is the point of this rather than just continuing to execute the way we sure. always did. And autopilot is something that we're really good at yeah. because it's comfortable. <laughs> but our Especially brains, parents. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but our brains don't thrive. Yeah when we do too much autopilot. So that's where I think putting in a little bit of the kind of elbow grease of our brain to think about what do you want? Because yeah. I think that's really important. And I think COVID, the pandemic, I think did a lot of that, you know, kind of helped people to rearrange or reorganize, reprioritize. But then we go back into the way things are. I think a lot of people are just kind of done talking about COVID, but it obviously um, had an effect and was a catalyst for a lot of different things. But I am curious over the course of 20 years, so not just taking into account COVID, but in your experience, are there some maybe preconceived notions that you had going into this field that you were like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is a concrete date that has been proven wrong? Or is there something it's a theme that's come out that you're like, oh, I never would have thought about this, but it's a, it's a key insight. Well, one thing that, it, which cracks me up because it's the whole basis of my work now, but probably about mm, 12 years ago, the idea that somebody who was normal and healthy would engage in brain training mm -hmm. is like, why would they do that? <laughs> I, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. <laughs> And so I remember our very first study that we did with healthy individuals. And we were talking about recruiting and it's always so hard to recruit, right? Yeah. And I kept thinking, and I would even say that, I was like, of course, because when you have a traumatic brain injury or you have stroke and you go into rehab, you're in, this, you're in that mode of yeah. like, you know you can improve and you know you've got to do a program, right. a training program to get better. Why would normal healthy people ever do that? Yeah. And so I totally wrong. I mean, that's all of my work now is healthy people. So I was really wrong about that. I also was, it's interesting because I think young people, mm -hmm. young people are really interested in how do I have a healthier brain. Really? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of surprising. Yeah. It was really surprising to me because I also think, you know, I, I always think, your brain is something that we take for granted. Like how many people actually think about their brain? Yeah. Most people do not. Nope. And I can tell you from all my years of assessment, which is where I spent a lot of the beginning of my career, 
No one thinks about their brain until something happens to it. I, I, I think the only time I would have thought about my brain is going back to what you were talking about earlier, like if I was trying to do a leadership course or something <laughs> along that to kind of shift my mindset of how I may deal with people. But even then, I don't know that I would catalog it as right. training my brain. Yeah, because I think most people are like, it's psychology. Right. It's not brain. It's right. like, you know, it's kind of like this different, <laughs> it's like my mind, not my brain. Yeah. And so that's what I, I think is really interesting. People now, I think, are more forward thinking. Mm -hmm. um, like the idea about why we go to a physical trainer, so why we work out, you know, I mean, some people do it because they have, they have their own medical history that right. they need to, uh, you know, manage. Sometimes it's because people have family history of heart disease and so they want to protect against that. But some people, a lot of people just do it because they want to feel better. Do, does the average, per, so when I think about like somebody that's had a traumatic brain injury or something that goes along, they have a goal, right? And yeah. that goal is back to normal. But for somebody that's already at that benchmark, how do they, do they have difficulty setting what that goal is? Or how do they visualize that goal? I think they do. I think, you know, I think some people, some people come to it and they just say, I want to achieve X. But I think it is really hard to think what kind of goal would I set? Right. And so that's what I think is cool through kind of assessment and metrics is when people are able to s start to gauge and just see where am I falling? How would I self-rate? Do I want to do something about it? You know, yeah. when, when we say you're the architect of your own brain, we also say you're the driver of your own brain, meaning it's like whatever you want to achieve is you're in the driver's seat and we're not here to tell you. I, I I, I would never tell somebody, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. It's more of what is what is the important things, what do you hope to accomplish? And even thinking about over the next five, three to five years, like what do you really want to accomplish? All of that comes from the brain. Are you seeing, uh, so to that end, you, and you said that there were a lot of younger people that seemed to be really engaged in this. Do they, do does, let's say, the younger group have a different, um, are they coming to it with a different kind of point of view or a different goal in mind than maybe people that are older? Yes, I think I think younger people come at it from well-being, wellness. Mm. They really want to have like good balance in their lives. They want to have purpose in their lives. Everyone wants to have purpose sure. in their lives, but I think with younger people, certainly like the workplace, they have to have purpose. Then right. they've got to feel fulfilled in their work. And um, I think it's different in older generations. Um, not that that those things aren't important, but I think that's a very strong driver for them. You know, mental health has been in, is a big thing now. Everybody yeah. talks about mental health. It's definitely working toward being more destigmatized than it was. And that's the other thing that I think really drives a lot of it. And that's kind of, that's a fun challenge for us because people always think, when you think about your brain, people think about mental health. Yeah. And that always falls into like depression, stress, anxiety, and like how do I manage those things sure. versus how do I actually optimize my performance so that at the end of the day, I'm not smoked. Right. Yeah. So that I can feel like I'm actually achieving things and accomplishing rather than knowing I checked all these boxes, but I don't really have a sense of accomplishment. Yeah. So leaving that group of people aside for a second, when it comes to people who have dementia or Alzheimer's, how much does health or training in addition to brain training contribute to brain health, the, the physical and the mental. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there have been a lot of studies showing that, you know, the, what impacts the brain isn't just one thing, sure. and there isn't just one magic silver bullet that fixes everything. 
And it is a holistic approach to life, really. And so there have been studies that look in isolation about exercise. What is the impact of exercise? And we've seen that exercise, I think it's like 30 minute walks, three times a week at least, helps to reduce prevalence of dementia. Um, certainly eating, there's a lot that comes out on diet a lot sure. of times, so there's that. Um, in brain training, we did a study a long time ago that just looked at people who were already diagnosed with Alzheimer's and kind of there's also this belief that like once you're diagnosed, you take medicine and then that's all you can really do. Right. Well, we've really started, we work really hard to change that conversation. One of my colleagues is wholly dedicated to working with individuals and their families so that people can start to realize what the potential still is and how do we use our strengths to kind of minimize or, you know, not to have so much emphasis on the right. deficits, because that's typically what it is. Like, yeah. don't, I can't remember, I can't remember, I can't remember. And so in our studies, we saw when people were really engaged and even just talking about current events and thinking about, you know, reminiscing, but also pr solving problems that are kind of practical, they have better overall, they reported better quality of life, they had better sleep. It doesn't stop the disease itself, sure. but it, like the symptoms s tend to be a little bit better, or work not as bad. The symptoms tend to be, yeah, dealing with yes, the symptoms. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> and so I, I just, I think that that's something that's a really important message because generally I think people approach any kind of neurodegenerative disease as that's it and there's nothing we can do. It's and like a death sentence. It's a death sentence. Yeah. And if there's meds, great. Yeah. And if there aren't, oh no. And I, a lot of it becomes lifestyle. I mean, one thing that's interesting with the brain and it's not so much specifically around disease, but after the age of 50, what we do, our lifestyle, starts to have a greater role mm -hmm. than it did before when compared to genetics. Really? Yeah, so you know, people, you typically think, well my grandfather, my father, whatever, that's the way I'm fated to go. Right. Not necessarily. And so what those exact things are, we don't know, but it's, you know, how we live matters. Okay, so we've been talking about a lot of the positive aspects of this, but having knowledge of how to, I don't know if manipulate's too strong a word, but manipulate the brain positively um, or, or redesign it in our brains, our, 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 being our own architects to, to design our lives in a positive way, is, can it, is, there a, is there another side of that coin? Can it be used negatively? Yeah, I mean, I think neuroplasticity it can also be maladaptive. And so how we think, can can, we can do bad things to ourselves. Rumination, I think, is a really good example of that. You know, anytime anything goes wrong, it's, it's human nature to yeah. kind of beat ourselves up a little bit. Yep. But I think probably many of us have had that experience of like, we can't get out of the negative cycle. Yeah. And when we think like that, we wire that way. And like, who wants to be wiring to negative thinking? For sure. Right? Like, I think nobody wants that. Another example of just like how we function every single day is something that I think would be fun to just like challenge you with. It yes. Is an aspect <laughs> of like our normal so, functioning. We talked about this. Okay. We're, 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 uh, Jennifer's going to put me through an exercise. Let me let me pull up. You said I needed a basically a blank sheet. Right? Yes. So okay. you need a blank sheet. I have so my blank sheet. Right, so if anyone wants to do this, like when they're watching it, yes. they could do it this themselves. So, so I would just we're say- we're gonna give you three seconds, <laughs> to, three go, seconds. to go get a blank sheet and a piece of paper uh, or your handy smart device. Yeah, okay. or do something. I'm and ready. so we're Does gonna- Does the color that I choose for my ink indicate something about me? 
No. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Not from my perspective. Perfect. Okay, so if we can pull up the um, the slide. Okay. Uh, now, so, I have not seen this. Right, right. Okay, so oh, what's going to happen? Okay. okay, so what, what what's going to happen is this, Brandon. I want you to write down, so anyone who's doing this for practical sense, I want you to write down your general contact information, your name, your address, your phone number, and your email address, okay? okay? When I say go. Okay. I also want you to read this kind of, this okay. is like a riddle, okay. and I want you to be able to come up with the answer. Okay. But at the same time, I'm also going to tell you, I've got a friend who has kind of life dilemmas and is asking everyone and anyone for advice. Okay. And so I am going to tell you a little bit about what he's been going through, and I would love for you to come up with three to five possible solutions of like pieces of advice that you would want him to think about or things that he could do. I know my producer Adam is just eating this up <laughs> right now because he loves to <laughs> fail. <coughs> all right. Okay, so we're gonna do all this at the same time. Great. Got and, it? And I, there's no, I, I have no priority on any of these. I'm just supposed to do all of them at the same time. All of them at the same time. Okay. Are you ready? I guess so. Okay. <laughs> all right. Go. All right. All right, so my friend, he's in the military. He just got out of the military and he's having issues with his work life, with his family life, specifically with his wife and his kids. So number one, he just got out of the military. He doesn't really know what direction he should go in professionally. He's got opportunities in the corporate world. He's got opportunities in nonprofit. He also is, he's got a lot of leadership skills. So he's been thinking about consulting and being able to provide that kind of service to different individuals on his own. Then in his personal life, his, he and his wife are having a lot of problems and it's his second wife and so he also has problems with his other, his first ex-wife. And so he's trying to think about how does he manage this relationship. Meanwhile, all of his kids, he's got different age kids and they all are doing different you know, kinds of activities. And how does he manage his son's activities, his daughter's okay. activities? They're starting <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm a creative guy, math, come on now. Nine days ago, the day before yesterday was three weeks before the second day of term. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about all yes. this. Let's unpack this. So did you got down all your information? I got down my information. Okay, so that's all like easy muscle mem like yep. you could do that with your eyes closed all the time. Yep. No big deal. Like little cognitive effort. And I got the majority of what you were saying. Okay, and so what would be three to five different things, solutions or things that he should think about? when it comes to his life? Um, How would you advise him? Did I cut you off before you got to the actual question? Well, I mean. He's just looking for advice for yeah, his life. Yeah, and he's got all these things. Okay, so uh, three to five things. Um, potentially getting a marriage counselor Kay. for the, the um, issues he may be having with his spouse. Um, looking to go to the VA for job placement. Okay. I heard there was something with the job. Okay. And um, he needs to take a break. Okay. Okay. Um, those are three things. Okay, cool. And what's this answer? No clue. Okay. Uh, I could come up with it after the fact. Could you even read? Did you read through the whole thing? I no. I got I got to about I got nine days ago. The day before yesterday was three weeks, and I was like, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> okay. Fair. So what is this whole thing an example of? Uh, a given Tuesday evening with my children. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're constantly multitasking, yeah. right? And doing multiple things. This is one of the greatest tools that we have that, or I should say, this is a behavior that when we utilize it, it becomes maladaptive, but when we manage it better, it can become 
a power driver. So what I mean by that is multitasking is like this, when I said that we really give people tools and education around how to improve how they work, think, and live, yeah. multitasking, or what we would say a single tasking, is one of those tools. Because I've heard you say you don't believe people can truly multitask. No, they cannot. So what happens is, okay, so also we have to un understand what is meant by multitasking. Because sure. everyone thinks, well, I'm a working parent, I have a lot of... I can drive and talk on the phone. Okay, that's a good example. Because I think multitasking is really, we define it as doing multiple, like doing two or more, three tasks at right. once that have different goals, okay? So driving in the car and talking on the phone is a perfect example of multitasking. But it's like driving, if you're going an easy route home, no problem. It's my commute, no I do it 100 yeah, times. You can yeah. do it with your eyes closed. Like it's easy, low cognitive load. and But you're having a really interesting conversation or important conversation with sure. somebody in your life. Oftentimes you get home and what happens? It's like, how did I get here? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Versus those, so, so there's the cost there. It's like we're not paying attention to both things equally. Right. And that's what I think people misunderstand in their capability. And so when you're at home with your kids, it's like how many, <laughs> how many evenings, it's like your kids are telling you all this stuff and you're still yeah. thinking about work or you're, or you're playing, you know, some <laughs> game on your phone. And then the next day comes and like your son says to you, like, dad, you know, your kid was telling you about something at school that yep. he has the next day. Yep. And he's like, I'm so excited about this or whatever it is. And you really have no, no idea, idea what he's talking about. Yes. And so that's a very practical experience I think that most people have. Or I think talking to spouses, we run through like, well, tomorrow I'm going to meet you at six, yep. da, da, da. And then tomorrow comes and I'm like, okay, I'll see yeah. you at six. And he's like, what are you talking about? Right. Um, it's also, it's never my problem. It's always because they were multitasking. Yeah. I'm not, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I can pay attention to everything. <laughs> but I think with multitasking, really, our brains aren't giving full attention to both things. They're toggling back and forth between things. Yeah. So that's why I think in meetings, when we do a lot of like Teams calls or conference calls or just sitting in a meeting, yeah. and even that's live. And if you happen to have your laptop with you or a tablet or your phone and you're paying attention to emails, when somebody says your name, you kind of pop back up. Yeah. But you really aren't paying attention to both of these things. I, I think it's interesting because um, it, in meetings, we've we just this was even before COVID. We kind of made this rule: like if you're gonna if if you're having to do emails in a meeting, this is a small example. It's important enough. You have a project that has a deadline or something, then just don't come to the meeting. Um, and and it's not I, what I appreciated about my boss is he took it out of the realm of it's a personal failure or inadequacy to just a fact of life. And I think that's that really kind of gave me permission to be okay with it, if you will, to realize this isn't, and I think this is what you're saying, it's not, well, you just don't do multitasking very well. It's like you can't multitask. Right. It's not about you or anyone right. else. It's you can't do the same thing. Right. And um, I think we actually fail ourselves more when we try to yeah. because too much gets missed. And that this is where I say, like, this is a tool, single tasking slash multitasking can be a power driver or can be a maladaptive drainer of our energies. Because what we've seen in multitasking is just the impact that it has on the brain is really significant. Yeah. And if we would... Every time we engage in multitasking, we're actually stressing our brains out. And like nobody needs more stress. Right. Yeah, and we sure. do this to ourselves, right? And we don't think about it like that because we think, oh, we're going to get more done and that's going to make me less stressed. Yeah. But that's not what happens. It takes longer to do things. We have more errors. We miss something. We have to keep going back to it. 
um, we don't get it done as well versus single tasking we actually get more done if we just do one thing at a time because it kind of it propels us forward and so you've got all your attention just focused on this and I mean I, I saw a good interesting cool thing around parenting the other day this people maybe know this PNP I was like, what is PNP? It's like this new parenting, you know, tip. P-N-P, I don't know how. Yeah. yeah. Play no phone. Oh, okay. So this idea that like, because how many of us engage with our kids, yep. or you can say with your friends, your loved ones, anyone like, do you go out to dinner and you everybody still has their phones with them yeah. on and, you know, kind of active with it. But it's like, how much could we just be present, just play, no phone, or conversation, no, no phone, phone. Yeah. would be really interesting. It's it, it's funny to hear you say that literally this morning because we, um, I have my two sons have, they each have a tablet, but we have time limits on them. But they get up in the morning, they don't have to get ready for school today because we're there's no school today. And they were both on their tablets and I needed them to do something. So I literally had to have them pause whatever it is they were doing, put the tablet down and look at me because I knew that if I said something while they were doing it, they would say yes mm-hmm. and they're not consciously lying to me, right. but it's just not making it in. Right. And that's 100% true with me on my phone. Mm-hmm. It's We cannot, we don't really have the capacity to do both of these things and to think I need to do this, but I'm still doing this. So having done this exercise is like, what's something small that anybody could do that's uh, a little tip that could have an impact in their lives, how they work. I think it's so hard to do. I mean, it's it's easy. Easy I should, to say. Easy to say, <laughs> simple, but difficult to implement. And I would just say if every single day people would have conversations, mm. whether it's meeting conversations or meaningful personal conversations in isolation without extra inputs, yeah. meaning like the TV's not on, I'm not trying to fold the laundry, even though that's not easy, I'm not on my phone. Yeah. Um, if people would just do that, I th- what I th- the impact of that, is, it's not only, it's, go- it's very good for your brain, but it also is enriching to relationships and it shows people that you care about them and that you're present and listening and that's kind of a lost yeah. thing these days. So, I mean, I would say, I, I often challenge people, it's like, if you've got 10 things you got to do today and like 10 different groups of people or 10 different kind of combinations of things, at least one of those yeah. at a minimum one, yeah. just just be present yeah. with that and don't do anything else. And even if you're not engaged in something, just sit there and listen that I think it can make a big difference. What is the biggest myth about the brain? <sighs> I and I hate to, to, you know, make it... Um, the biggest myth, right? I know. I think there's a lot of one myths. Of, one of the biggest one myths. One of the biggest myths. I think number one, I think, I, I people are, I used, I would have said, if you had asked me this five years ago, I would have said the brain doesn't change. Okay, fair People, enough. I think, thought that. I, I think now more people recognize that it does change, and we recognize that even if we didn't think about it as changed before, now right. people know it. I think that um, maybe it's just the ability to, like that you can, you can, so I think people know that it changes, but I think maybe it's more that people thought that it would always change down, downward, like oh, okay. decline. So you can exercise your brain into be something that's more, sh- more powerful, more strong. Yes, exactly. Huh. And I and I also think, uh, I I think that multitasking is a good example of just tr- the mentality of the more that I do at the same time, the better I'm going to be. And I think another myth that that's a myth. And I think that. Um, that is a myth. I don't think that's a myth. That's a myth. <laughs> and 
the truth is, is that when it comes to the brain, really less is more. Yeah. And so I don't mean don't do things in your life, but be strategic about what you want to engage in and be present and don't try be to have tons of, in yeah, yeah, being intentional and thinking about, you know, taking five minutes to think about like, what are all the different ways I could solve this problem is really worthwhile. Yeah. You know? I gotta, I gotta imagine part of that being intentional also is asking why. Like, why am I doing this? Is it really that important? Is it really that crucial? As I said before, one of the things that I really like is the practical aspects of, of what you what you bring. And we talked ab about, you know, how we're in charge of kind of designing our, our own brains, we're architects of our lives. How do you, how does that happen in a practical way? And I know you mentioned uh, the technique of smart brain training. Where does that come from? And then how do we implement that as a, as a practical exercise? Cool, okay, so I think there's like kind of two things there. Number one, let me just talk about smart first. Yeah. So we started, you know, when people go through cognitive train, uh, testing, I mm -hmm. should say, uh, really we developed a whole assessment battery that looks at frontal lobe function, which is really how people use information. It's not about how much you remember necessarily or how fast you are at doing that, but how do you use information in a practical way? You know, kind of how strategic are you? Are you taking in everything or are you culling things out and being more selective with information? So also, do you, can you read between the lines? Can you yeah. reason through things? You know, like really utilization of information. And what, um, this is work that Dr. San that Sandy Chapman did a long, long time ago was looking at when people come out of rehab, especially after like a traumatic brain injury, for example, they go through their rehab and then they take standard cognitive testing and they often are like within normal limits. Right. But families will say, but I'm, he's still not. He's not there. Yeah, yeah, not there. And not even like 90% there, but it's like this isn't the same kind of person. And so, but yet testing shows that they're fine. And so that's what I think her, the element that she brought to the whole game with this kind of assessment of looking at, you know, connected language and how do we use information was adding another element that was more specific and sensitive to those kinds of changes. Okay, so when we start seeing, and we saw that with Alzheimer's disease as well, it was right. like, okay, yeah, maybe you can't remember anything or very little, but you still have a great amount of wisdom and you can sure. really like think through the information. And so how does that matter to your life? So through that, and we started doing a lot of assessments with healthy people, and it's like, great, now what do I do about it? Yeah. And so that's why we developed a program, and we tried to make it very practical. So it's practical does not equal easy. Yeah, fair enough. Again, <laughs> I think, you know, it's something that really does require a lot of discipline and intention setting and um, being very, very proactive, and that's what yeah. we always talk about. I think... Most of us, like when it comes to kind of designing your experience and designing your life, I think most of us are reactive. We yeah. will we'll deal, like we're very resourceful. As problems come up, we'll figure it out. Um, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about with just all these different inputs and all these different things we're trying to do. You don't have time to be proactive. You're just right. hitting it as it comes. Exactly. And that's what I think is like, that's the normal human experience right. of like, because people can go in, you could go to work and not have anything planned for your day yes. and like you're full up, yep. you know? <laughs> and, but you all, you know, and sometimes you walk away saying like, wow, I did some good stuff today. Yeah. And sometimes you walk away being like, holy cow, I don't, I was busy all day long, yeah, but I don't really, go? exactly. Yeah. And so that's, I think is a pretty standard experience of like just the reactiveness of it. And I don't think we're doing anything to really design. 
And so being proactive, I think, brings that element of what am I trying to accomplish? How am I doing that? What am I, you know, we, one of our strategies is we talk about setting, identifying elephants versus the rabbits of our day. Okay. And so this whole concept came about from, there's a saying when you're out hunting elephants, don't get distracted chasing rabbits. Okay. Right? So this idea <laughs> that like, you gotta keep your eye on the prize, yep. but also the other part of it is we will constantly be distracted by smaller things. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people talk about is, I can, I constantly get interrupted and distracted and I get pulled away from things. My boss, my colleagues, my clients, everybody like pulls on me, my kids, my spouse, yep. right? And so, and then I don't do my big things that really are gonna push me forward. Sure. And I think that that's part of designing your life is recognizing like, what is my big goal that I really wanna achieve? Whether it's personal, professional, for your family, like, right. you know? And then thinking about what are the smaller pieces that are gonna help to advance me there? And that's yeah. really what the elephants are, are these things that require some planning, some organization, some logical thinking, some judgment calls, and then, it's, but it's pushing me forward in some way. It's not completing the entire thing. Right. But that's where I think is a, when people start to understand that concept, they're like, oh. Like I think about next year. Yeah, I love that. Like this year, my big goal is I really wanna do, engage in a lot more travel with my family. Well, that takes a lot because it's like, I, I can't just say, I'm gonna plan our whole travel. Yeah. And so even things like that in our lives that matter to us, it's like, What's my budget? When can I go? Sure. Where do I wanna go? Like, yeah. I wanna go too many places. How do I strategically call that out? How do I, do I care about what my kids' input is or not? You know, I mean, yeah. I think that there's, there's so many factors that we all deal with all the time. And I could just say like, oh, it's summer. We're just gonna go to the beach, you know? Yeah. Or I could just be more thoughtful about it and be proactive in my planning. And that's an aspect of designing my experience. But yeah. I think, I think there's the big difference really comes into being like reactive versus proactive. I love that. It feels like there's always something new you're discovering or some new element that you're kind of, you know, fitting into the the knowledge that you've gained over this. So it almost uh, it's almost maybe a, 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 a too simple a question to ask you what excites you excites you about the future of brain research. But is there, are there those kind of um, elephants that you have, to use mm -hmm. your example, that, that maybe um, you see kind of pushing you forward and what are those end goals? Okay, so I have like two kinds of answers. Yeah. So my working self really thinks about um, how is it that we really push out, like we're, we outlive our peak performance cognitively. Like a lot of us live, like we can peak, there's research that shows that we peak at about our mid 40s from a cognitive perspective, which is scary as I'll get out, <laughs> because we live far longer than that, right? Sure. So I think one of the goals of the Center for Brain Health is like how do we move that needle so that it's not, we're not peaking in our 40s, but rather we're peaking in our 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever, right? right? So I'm really interested in how can people and starting to uncover. So we have a project that anybody can actually be a part of that's called the Brain Health Project. It's a longitudinal study. It is involves metrics like every six months so people can gauge and be in the driver's seat right. more effectively with their brain health. It is not a diagnostic. So it's all performance driven. There's also training, there's coaching. We have group, we have like group coaching as well. And I think it's really neat to be part of a bigger mission to kind of push that forward. And right. so that's really what that project is really looking. How do we keep a healthy brain healthy? And I think it's gonna be really interesting to see because it isn't just one thing. 
And so what is it that helps people to achieve the health that they want and, and thrive the way they want to? Yes. So I'm really excited about that. Um, I don't know if we'll ever like, I don't know what the answer will be. Right. I don't know, you know how long it will take to answer that. But I think in another realm where I'm, this kind of um, straddles professional and just my personal interest is the rate of suicide in this country mm. is staggering. And um, part of what I'm really interested in is how can possibility thinking, if we instill a sense of possibility thinking always in from youth, mm -hmm. that we always are accustomed to this rather than just that kind of default of rumination. Right. How can, can that change the trajectory of those things? And yeah. that's a long, long runway of, right. Right, of research. But I feel like too many times people don't see options for themselves. Yep. And if we were just accustomed to thinking like that, maybe that would be a first stopgap yeah. that would help that. The other thing I'm really interested in is kids. And um, I'm particularly interested, I have teenagers. Yeah. And I- God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really, I want them, I, it's like how do you instill in them Yeah always a sense of curiosity and motivation. Because now is when they're formative. Yes. Yeah. Instead of just like, you know, they're so group think a lot of times yeah. with their friends. And that's like, it's that social aspect sure. that's so important. But how do you, again, it's like the possibility thinking, not just so that we can prevent suicide, but also of like, I can be whatever I want to be. And, right. and really believe that. Yeah. You know, I grew up being told like, you can be whatever you want to be. and. I, you know, I won't. I wouldn't say that that was necessarily the truth. Yeah. But I think now, like I came into this field at its like when I was in school, this field didn't exist. Exist, yeah. And so that's really what I mean is like, how can you help the youth today to really like design an entirely different kind of world and experience for themselves, where they have so much joy and happiness in what they do. Yeah. And that it's worthwhile. Um, so those are the things that I'm really like so forward. Well, I will give a, a shameless plug because in February you have the Brain Health Week, right? Yes, thank you. Yeah. So I, yeah, I would love everybody, so the Brain Health Week. So we're starting our very first, this is our inaugural year of Brain Health Week. Yeah. And it is an experience where it's gonna be five days, the week of February the 20th, and it's every day is gonna have a different theme. There's three different ways that people can participate. The whole thing is about education and engagement of the public in brain healthy habits so that we can help to unleash greater potential for ourselves. Yeah. And there's gonna be text challenge, there's gonna be social media and website activities, and there's also gonna be some in-person events at the center. So you know, pe we're focusing this year on North Dallas North Texas, I should say, North Texas. Yeah. But um, we are going to like blow it out and we want it to be impactful. We want people to start to embrace and just have brain top of mind. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I encourage everybody to think about it and you be can go brain to- Be brain aware. Be brain aware <laughs> and people can register for it. It's brainhealthweek.org. Okay, we will put a link in the description. Cool. Um, not only for Brain Health Week, but if you have more questions about Center for Brain Health or, or really anything that Jennifer's working on, we want to make sure we have lots of links there so you guys can find her. Terrific. Thank you so much for being here, Jennifer. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank and you for having me. Thank you so much for watching. Again, make sure to check out in the description below all the links to find out more about Center for Brain Health and Jennifer. And until the next Curious Conversation.